This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hello, welcome to the Speakeasy Podcast. My name is Mike Ayers. I'm an arts reporter here at The Journal. Today we are catching up with Juno Temple and talking about her TV series, HBO's Rock and Roll Drama Vinyl. Welcome, Juno. Hi. So, first things first, roughly how much fake cocaine was used during the first season? I would say probably a ton. Um, that's just a wild guess, though. And you know what it is? It's lactose powder. Lactose powder. Oh, I yeah. don't even know what that is. It's like milk powder. So I'm sure that's really enjoyable to have for a whole season, you know? Okay, so you put lactose powder in what, water, and it makes like fake milk? Yeah, I would guess so. I mean, that's what you would, yeah, like baby formula. I don't know. I mean, I myself, Jamie doesn't... Um, snort any lactose powder she just deals it so i got i think i got away with uh with um yeah skipping out on something rather grotesque which was pretty great yeah she's probably on the other hand oh boy (laughs) yeah that's a good point she is very um has her head very focused and is it seems like she's you know just the uh the middleman if you will the Mm -hmm. uh, the you know the the supplier of of the staff's well, I think uh, she's surprised. too ambitious to get yeah. involved in the drug world at this point. You know, she's not going to, yeah, she, she doesn't want to mess up her, her job, her mm. career at this point. Yeah. All right, good. Well, so, yeah, Jamie Vine, she's an up-and-coming A&R rep at American Century Records. What do you think is special about this this world that Vinyl has created? Um, I mean, it's interesting, actually, because having bumped into people and meeting new people doing press and things for this what I've so loved is people don't really just want to be like oh you're an actress you're on a TV show that's so great and like, they go oh my god do you want to know the first vinyl I bought when I was a teenager and why I bought it and this is what I listened to and then it progressively led me to find this band and the, people want to talk about music mm. and I think that's something really exciting with vinyl that it's kind of opened that doorway for people to watch a TV show that is so music oriented and it really does kind of awaken you to how much music means to you and you know you've got the lead character on the show Richie Finestra who obviously as a child music helped change his life and helped shape who he was and it led him to becoming a part of the music world and creating American Century and creating his own record label and I think um, that's something that audience members can relate to of how music can so make or break a day for you you know if you're feeling sad and you put a song on you can cry even harder or it can completely flip your day into becoming happy again and I think Music is so nostalgic and, you know, everyone quietly has a soundtrack to their own life that they walk around, especially New York City. Oh, my God. I spent hours walking around just creating my own soundtrack, listening to music and kind of, yeah, picturing my life as a movie to this soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. Like, every character in this show is, you know, for better or for worse, you know, however it manifests itself, they are extremely passionate about music. music. Um, Well, I think that's also something that I felt strongly about with Jamie is that, you know, you meet her mother throughout the show and how they could not be more different. And I think Jamie is definitely somebody who 
in her youth, in her young, even though, you know, the ripe old age of like 22 or 23, <laughs> but, you know, in her teens or whatever, she would have discovered music and it really would have helped drown out the things that frustrate her about her mother. So I definitely think that she's somebody who is very turned on by music and unbelievably passionate about it because it also helped her through some tough times. So what was the, the first record you bought or CD or tape? The first CD I bought yeah. was actually... Um, uh, the single of Dr. Dre. Um, oh, no, no, it was the album, the, Cro- the Chronic. The Chronic. Yeah, that was my first CD I went and bought. Um, and before that, I used to tape things on the radio. Um, Do you remember I, how old you were when you bought The Chronic? 11 or 12. <laughs> okay. And then also, you know what was another one? Hooray for Boobies by the Bloodhound Gang. I was a huge Bloodhound Gang fan. I, I remember that. All right, those are uh, those are good choices. 11-year-old listening to The Chronic. Mm-hmm. Um uh, good, uh, interesting. I think I was, well, it came out, I was 17 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was very popular in high school, mm-hmm. you know, the West coast rap and everybody loved it. So, um, was this a hard job for you to get? I mean, I feel like it must've been pretty coveted. You know, you got Scorsese, Jagger, Terrence Winter, Cannavale, like any actor is going to want to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a process. I think if I had it my way, I would have been a young woman probably in the early 70s. I'm so fascinated with that time period. And um, I'm, uh, people always tease me because I spend my life wearing 70s clothing. So a lot of people meet me and they're like, whoa, what time are you from? Um, uh, it was the kind of same process that it would be for any part that you try and get where I got sent a script and wanted to audition and I came out to New York and auditioned with Ellen Lewis who's one of the most incredible women on the planet who cast the pilot and um, I actually remember I was wearing an original uh, Sex Pistols t-shirt which is Minnie and Mickey Mouse and he's got the anarchy symbol in his ear and I thought that was really on point for Jamie I was like she definitely you know would have the balls to wear something like that to work and um, I did the audition and then a few weeks later, I got a phone call from my agents being like, well, Martin Scorsese would like to read you. <laughs> and there's definitely a moment where you just sort of think, oh, my, well, um, I mean, who cares what happens if I get in that room and I get to be directed by Martin Scorsese for five minutes, seven minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. I think, you know, that's going to be a moment that I'll treasure and cover forever. Um, so... Again, Ellen helped me a lot. She, I sent her pictures of outfit options. <laughs> um, and I ended up wearing all 70s, which was great. I felt very authentic. And um, it was when it was the year when Wolf of Wall Street was up for all of those um, Oscars. And so Marty was staying at Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, you arrive and there was a bungalow that he was auditioning. And I have to confess, I've never been more nervous about anything in my life. Like... If I get nervous or if I'm really affected by something, my body can't control shaking. And I really shake like a oh, really? sad leaf. Yeah. And um, sort of shaking. But, you know, I was kind of like, I've got to figure this out because you don't want to go in and blow an audition like that. You don't want to go in and just suck, you know. Even if the part's not going to be yours, I believe everything happens for a reason. So I went in and I, uh, I read for him and it was quick. And he gives, you know, very specific direction. He has this amazing whirlwind energy that you just kind of feel like, I don't know, washed in washed over by when you walk into a room with him and it's it's electric you're like I don't want to leave <laughs> and then walked away I gotta say I didn't think the part was gonna go my way I remember no. this kind of sad phone call to my agents being like I, I think I blew it <laughs> and they were like it's okay and then um yeah again a couple of weeks later I get a phone call being like you got it I was like 
oh my god because it is it was like the combination of all these people that were making this project come to life the time period the fact that it's about the music the fact that my character is about kind of helping with the birth of punk which is like kind of I don't know I feel like runs in my blood because my dad's a huge you know he's this amazing punk rocker himself and and I think uh it just felt like all these elements came together and I just, I don't know, it's one of those parts where I really, for the first time in my life, I'd always been nervous of television, of like that commitment, it almost feels like a marriage and it's such, you know, it's, it's, at this point in my life, it's kind of like I want to be able to go to southern Chile to shoot a movie if I want to and then end up in Alaska and then go, I, and so I was nervous about that kind of commitment and then i got to tell you, I would play this character forever and ever. I think she's kind of feels like, I don't know, a weird part of me and I think I felt that when I first read her too. So mm. I think... Yeah. It was very much an ensemble cast, mm -hmm. you know, um, in terms of the workload, you know, I, I would assume that it's it's a lot. But, you know, in, in terms of like leading a show, it's different. You know, you mentioned your your dad. Uh, he did he did, you know, films and made music videos. And yes. Documentaries like a lot of punk documentaries about the pistols, Sex Pistols and the Clash and um yeah. All good people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard of them, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe once or twice. Mm -hmm. um, t did you have any uh, funny encounters with musicians growing up? You know, it's funny. I, I mean, I was so young and I was more engrossed in what Barbie was saying to T-Rex. You know, I was like, um, lived in my own kind of weird fantasy world. I kind of like was like Alice in Wonderland in this kind of weird mad rabbit hole that my parents created in Somerset. It's this kind of magic old house with this beautiful garden and my dad kind of I don't know built this kind of mad paradise for for me and my brothers where it was I mean it's truly a place for a kid's imagination to run wild and so I wasn't really that aware of what was going on with the grown-ups and I didn't really care yeah. um but I do remember listening to a lot of great music as a kid like a lot of amazing punk rock and you know great old rock and roll music and then some amazing reggae like reggae Sundays whilst my mum was cooking a roast chicken and stuff so music was a big part of my life from the get-go does that weirdly help you now you know 20 20 years later you know when you go into this world when you work on vinyl yeah i think so i mean it's again i'm a huge i don't really listen to a lot of music from today i listen to a lot of 70s music on vinyl actually and i think um i think vinyl is the best way to listen to your music because you know i think it's amazing now that we have earphones and iPods and iPhones that you can walk around playing your music at all times, but actually that only enters through your ears. You know, if you sit down, you put a record on, you listen to an album from beginning to end, the album tells you the story it's supposed to, and the way a vinyl plays, it, it affects your whole body rather than just going straight through your ears. And I think it's a very different experience listening to music on a record. Um, but, yeah, I think hearing about, you know, listening to these bands as a young person, I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, it shaped who I am as a creature. It shaped what I want to do with my life. It shaped how I feel about things, you know? And I think um, that was part of the reason why it was so cool to me that Jamie is involved in the kind of punk side of things. And she goes, you know, in the first episode in the pilot, she goes to that gig, and I think, of the nasty bits, and I think not many people in the uh, uh, American Century office would think that that band was worth a damn, because actually the crowd hates them. And it was interesting, uh, that day Marty turned around to me and he was like, you've got to make sure you take in the crowd, because this is why she sticks out in the office, because she's not just watching the talent, she's watching what they do to the people in front of them. And it was so great to me that her reaction was like, 
oh my god well this is something this is a reaction people are are feeling something you know and i think that's what punk was it wasn't about loving the music it was about making you feel pretty electrified and wanting to scream and shout about things you know and i think the fact that jamie has that kind of ear is really cool you mentioned um you know the just the the mere listening of a piece of vinyl you know but i think they i think they touch on this occasionally in the dialogue in 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 the show vinyl about flipping sides or Mm -hmm. you know how people prepare you know music for a certain listener who Mm -hmm. has to flip and then it, it changed over time when we stopped flipping things you know now we don't even put anything in we no, just it, we just push a button and but we're humans aren't we we want instant gratification we want, like we want it in every walk of life whether it's a diet you don't want to do put the time in to lose the 10 pounds whether it's you know like making coffee we are lazy we go buy it we don't make it ourselves and like, i have a coffee grinder at home where i grind my beans and stuff and for a minute i was really on it with that and i used to properly make you my, manually grind oh yeah i have like an old school wooden one with a metal and i was super into it for a little while and then i got lazy again and it's like you know this always makes me laugh too about humans is like if there is a stick in your way to walk down the path instead of walking around it we always walk over and inevitably we're going to trip up like that's just the way it is and i think it's because we want instant gratification nowadays but actually if you do slow down and you pause and i think a great example for that is putting on a vinyl or putting on a record at home is that it does slow you down and instead of music becoming background noise it becomes a visceral experience that can stop you in your tracks you know yeah and i think some musicians you know are very aware of that now and they are going back to you know 30 40 years ago mm-hmm. and writing records that you um that reward that the reward that listener sure you can buy it on mp3 or you can stream it on spotify if that's your thing but if you want this actual experience and the story that it's telling you know i have split it up into two sides mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's meaning behind these first five tracks and then the back half mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty cool that, you know, the music, some musicians, I guess at least, are... You know, Wanting to tell sti- that story again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it can be, like, I know, it's, you know, a record can... It, they're normally an hour or less than an hour if, if you've got five tracks on one side and four on the other or whatever. But it, it is kind of... It is the same sort of medium as film in the sense that you are telling a story through music. And, and I think an album is recorded for you to listen to it from track one to track 12, even if it's you know your track three and track seven aren't your favorite songs or whatever it's like you actually if you give it the time and you listen to it it is it's like it's no cliche or whatever but it's proper artwork it's that's how it's supposed to be listened to so you might as well respect the musician and listen to it as it should be told you know and it's hard i think sometimes for people who may have just been introduced to music through mp3 mm-hmm. or through spotify mm-hmm. i just to understand that discovered spotify someone just set it up for me what i think is cool about spotify is that i didn't realize but halfway across the world if someone has your account or whatever they can like log into it and they can control the music you're listening to i didn't know that i think that's pretty cool it's very cool and some artists you know just they're getting so big just on Spotify mm-hmm. because all these people are creating playlists with their music and sharing them. Mm-hmm. And the only place that they are bubbling and making money and making a career is through this platform. It's uh, And that's very cool for people, you know. I um, well, I also think anything to get music to be heard, you know. It's cool. Yeah. All right. We will take a short break and uh, come back with Juno Temple in a few seconds. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hello, we're back today talking vinyl with Juno Temple. If you are a vinyl fan and haven't watched most of the season, we're going to be talking about key plot points that have happened throughout the season. Just a fair warning. So, Juno, this season has a lot of highs and lows. What's kind of been the essential themes of uh, what's been going on with the characters? With the characters, I mean, I think um, the main thing that's happening is that Richie Finestra and his partners in American Century were going to sell the record uh, company um, for a lot of money where they could kind of go and retire and do whatever they wanted and then Richie gets hit with this second wind I guess I would call it of really remembering how much he loves music and how much it means to him and how much it affects people and he wants to uh, keep being a part of that and decides not to sell the company which is huge for everybody because then it leads down you know it trickles down and bleeds down into all the other characters like my character, Jamie, where you're an assistant to an A&R agent and you're very easily disposable. And because they now aren't about to make this kind of cash and they're American centuries, they call it, um, what do they say? Where where artists go to die. American cemetery. <laughs> it's like this ongoing joke that um, the record label is just sucking at the moment and they need to uh, get with the times and kind of, you know, party like everyone else is. And... Uh, um, but it means, yeah, there's not there's no money at the company, so everyone has to prove why they should still be there. So then you have, I think, with all these interesting characters, these great characters in the office, um, wanting to go and find the next big thing that's going to make American Century great again, you know? That's what I would say is kind of the pivotal thing going on. Uh, and then there's a whole, whole kind of heartbreaking story between Richie Finestra and his wife, Devon, and why their relationship is kind of dissipating yet there's this kind of mad love there still between the two of them i think that's a really really interesting relationship to watch and i think olivia wilde is extraordinary on the show and um the ups and downs of devon is just you know of a woman that kind of gave up her life to become a mom but kind of wasn't ready to not be in the heart of what was going on in this kind of revolutionary time period it was a great women. time to be a an woman. artist to be mm -hmm. free to be uh, in New York, mm -hmm. um, and you see her wrestle with that. Yeah, totally. Often. So that brings up a good point. I mean, do you see a big difference between how the women characters are portrayed versus the men? Because I'll be frank with you, I think the men are doofuses on this show, and yes. the women are, you know. Really smart. Well, they, they seem like they <laughs> Andrea got, Zito, too. What a great character. They seem like they have their act together. They're very driven. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they're obviously playing in a boys' club, yeah. and a boys' club is not that welcoming, mm -hmm. even though Jamie Vine has ideas. Andy wants to turn the place around. You know, Devin, you know, clearly is, even though she doesn't want to be maybe the Connecticut suburban mom, you know, she she knows, I don't know, she has visions and, mm -hmm. you know, they're not all doing massive amounts of cocaine. That's, that has to help as well. What do well. I think about that? I mean, I think, yeah, it was a man's world. The the music industry back then was so a man's world and women were kind of brought in as like, you know, they were known as groupies. But actually, I think the women that are being portrayed on the show are the women that these men couldn't help but take seriously because they are so smart. They are so driven. And actually, I think to some of the men, they're a little intimidating. You know, I think Jamie could have been promoted from the minute she hands the tape 
to Richie Finestra of the Nasty Bits. But Jamie, Julie, they all know that she's going to be real good at this, so they want to keep her in check. You know what I mean? So there's a control thing going on. But what I think is so great about the women is that they are gorgeous, they're ballsy, they're funny, they're smart, but they've got, they really have the brains to follow through with what they're doing, you know? I think it's a great thing to watch these incredible women challenge these men because, yeah, they kind of are doofuses a lot of the time. The women definitely trip and make mistakes too. I mean, Jamie definitely makes a big mistake in this next episode. You know, she thinks she's on top of her game and everything, but actually, you know, life <laughs> life is really complex and you aren't always going to win. But I think it's really great to see these incredible women and how they're portrayed on Vinyl. I think it's really uh, exciting to show these women for being not just beautiful, but for being really smart, too. Obviously, her love interest is uh, Kip. Stevens, uh, um, yeah. And uh, played by James Jagger. And the one thing I keep thinking about while watching him and you, I mean, is the bad boy still attractive in this day and age, do you think? I mean, I'm guilty as charged of being totally attracted to that, yeah, okay, for so sure. Yes. Okay, yes. I might not be in that world anymore, not going to as many shows as maybe I used to. So, um, you know, he is the bad boy in my life right now. You know, his, Are you attracted to him? Uh, he just has a good snarl, uh-huh. like good presence. Know. You know, he says what he wants. He stands up to Richie Finestra. I think a lot of us want to be that way in our mm-hmm. own own lives, <laughs> and it's very hard. It's very hard to stand up to anybody who has power over you. It's very hard to pull off a leather jacket. It is, and leather pants. Those leather pants that he was wearing in the first episode. I remember he put them on, and I was like, "Damn, dude! Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, go look at look at you." Yeah, no, he's definitely a bad boy. He's got attitude and he's got... But I also think the music is so great. So that's, again, you know, I think you kind of cut him some slack for being as talented as he is and being a bit of a bastard. Mm. (laughs) But what I think is great, too, between Jamie and Kip is that they obviously do really like each other. They dig each other. And I think she finds it complex because he is kind of her golden ticket and she knows that and she wants to keep him interested in her but she also wants to keep him at arm's length i think when she first says at the beginning like we should keep this professional there is a little meaning to that she does kind of mean that but then she fancies him so how can she keep saying no you know what i mean and i think he feels the same about her i think he really likes her and i think that's also proven in episode nine you know where yeah he likes her more than I think he's necessarily let on. Is the show funny to you at all? Oh, yeah, it's hysterical. Okay. Are you kidding me? I mean, the, the people that are making it come from such serious backgrounds. They make very, you know, serious things. In a lot of ways, you know, this is very serious, you know. For sure. Uh, but I think the grandiose tone at times, like, it is very funny. I, mean, I think so, too. I'm, I am laughing at times when people are kind of getting... Like kicked around, yeah, like literally getting kicked death. around, and like yeah, or like so much cocaine on someone's face that you can't help but giggle because you're like that can't possibly have happened. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think, but I think that's also why it works so well because there is a little twinkle of humor in every episode, and you can't just you know out of darkness comes light. You've got to be able to laugh through the bleak times. We all know that. <laughs> have you heard um, just feedback from fans or just any anybody that? Um, they're picking up on that or that might be, you know, kind of slept on during this first season, that that humorous aspect that kind of pops up every once in a while. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't thought about that. I'm not sure I've really heard from fans about it being funny. It's more like, I mean, I'm not great with social media stuff. I just do an Instagram. So it's more comments about... um, sporadic moments in the show I mean a lot of people love my character's wardrobe I get a lot of comments about that yeah because <laughs> uh, her wardrobe is pretty banging um, and uh, 
what was cool is a lot of it is actually original 70s pieces which makes me you know makes me happy because you feel like when you step into a vintage piece that the stories you just kind of feel like it infects your blood which is great um and helps you become a part of that character even more um but i'd be interested to see if people find it funny that would be kind of a good thing to kind of reach out and ask i guess you know it's been renewed for a second season um when do you when do you start shooting this summer uh yeah i think this summer later this summer yeah which i'm excited to go back i feel like taking too long of a break from Jamie now I feel like I'm getting boring <laughs> what do you in the ideal world what do you what do you hope happens to her um I mean I hope I hope she keeps rising I really do but I do hope it takes time because I hope she has to put in more work and keep learning and keep growing as a person before she can reach the top I do really hope that I'm gonna be intrigued to see what happens between her and Kip you know um because I like them together I think they're a good duo they're like an angel and a devil, but also an angel and a devil. They're both, mm-hmm. one looks like the angel and one looks like the devil, but they both got those qualities, you know? Mm-hmm. Um be interesting to see also what happens with her mom and now that she, uh, yeah, you've kind of met her mother and you see a little bit about how different she is to her mother and how, yet at the same time, she so wants her mom's kind of blessing and respect because I do think she respects her mother. I don't know, I hope she keeps being as fiery and as ballsy as she is I hope she keeps staying true to herself really I really hope that I hope she doesn't lose sight of that um I mean there's so many directions it could go I hope I don't know I hope a lot of things I hope she stays involved in the punk world that I really hope because I really think she belongs there and I think she gets it and I want to go to CBGB's really bad <laughs> yeah you know you shoot you shoot New York I'm sure they're long days but uh do you go out in New York yeah I did I was living in the Lower East Side because I thought that's where Jamie probably would have spent a lot of her time but uh I love that just walking around and it still feels like I know New York has changed so much I've heard that from so many people that it's like unrecognizable to what it was in the 70s and even shooting exterior shots in New York of 1973 is almost impossible you have to go far out to find that now because New York is considered so clean nowadays yeah. um, which was cool in the pilot actually that there are some shots that Marty put in that were actual like I guess moments that he didn't use from Taxi Driver over actually being in Times Square and stuff and it does look completely different you know the Lower East Side does still feel a little grimy and I think I need that and if I'm gonna be spending a lot of time here I'm gonna definitely need some grime I can't be just in like you know Lululemon workout clothes drinking a Starbucks I wanna sit on the pavement in my sweatpants and talk to strangers and stuff Los Angeles doesn't have a lot of grime right? It does. It has some grime. Yeah, it definitely has some Pockets grime. Pockets of there's grime. Definitely some grungy stuff going on there. Mm. Um, and I think there's a pretty amazing, pretty interesting underground music scene that I'm kind of starting to learn about there, actually, which is cool. Uh, um, but I loved going out in New York. I like that in New York you can spend a lot of time on your own, but it doesn't make you feel like desperately lonely. I think Los Angeles, I've felt more lonely before. I don't know. The space, I think, is can be kind of dangerous for... A, the mind or whatever and I think being in New York and being around the hustle bustle of other people just like the energies can you almost want to be on your own in that mad energy do you know what I mean yeah what do you mean by the space is too big for your mind (laughs) sorry that sounds so like intense (laughs) well sometimes you know you feel you can feel um I mean like I said I don't have a driver's license so sometimes I feel a little trapped in Los Angeles because it does take a long time to get places and 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 you can't always see the people you want to see because they're living in Santa Monica and you're in Los Feliz or whatever. And I think LA is a place that I find hard when I'm not working. I find it can get kind of complex to not be working in Los Angeles. Whereas I think in New York, 
you turn any corner and there's something to titillate your brain, you know. <laughs> you raise your eyebrows. You yeah, weren't expecting me to say titillate. Well, I was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess if you live in New York for, for a while, you start, maybe you can t- start to tune it out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've been told you should leave New York before you get too hard and you should leave L.A. before you get too soft. And then go where? Kansas? <laughs> I would say Cuba. Cuba. Yeah. Why have not? you been to right? Cuba? No, not yet. I'm dying to. Um, have you? I have not. Uh, but maybe, um, you know, Richie could do a stealth you know, recon mission and with send, and, and send bring Jamie. Jamie. Yeah, yeah. To no, she, he can just send me and I'll go and mm-hmm. smoke Cuban cigars mm-hmm. and dance on the streets. Mm-hmm. That sounds perfect. All right, Juno, thanks so much for uh, stopping by. You've been listening to the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. For more podcasts, check out wsj.com slash podcast and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. Thank you. This message comes from Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.